So Pastor Sean has spoken so beautifully over recent weeks. I'm feeling a lot of pressure going after three or four really good weeks uh, on spiritual disciplines. And he's been speaking about the unforced rhythms of grace, learning how to incorporate spiritual disciplines into our lives in a way that isn't legalistic, but it comes out of a desire to spend time in God's presence, to have a closer relationship with Him. I love the passage, the passage in the message version of Matthew 11 that we've been hearing the last couple of weeks. And it says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, Pastor Jean has already mentioned that some of the disciplines are inward disciplines, therefore our own self-reflection and personal growth. Others are outward disciplines. They're aimed at helping us make a positive impact on the world around us. And today we're going to look at a discipline that is intended for the strengthening of our relationships with each other and also our relationship with God. Many people, both those of us who have grown up in the church and also those who have never set foot into a church in their lives, have heard of confession. Some of us may have family members or friends who have been involved in a Christian church of some kind or other religions as well, where there may have been a practice of confessing to a priest. But have we ever considered it to be a spiritual discipline, something that we consciously decide to develop as a part of our Christian walk? Today, I want to take a look at what confession is in light of God's grace and His desire to have a relationship with each of us. Although we often think of confession as an admission of guilt, the basis of confession is that it's an act of making a statement. It can be a verbal statement or a written statement. It's an action word. It's not just a word or thought inside our head, but something that we say or do. It can be a confession of our faith, such as our belief in Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. However, most of us, when we think of the word confession, it's usually an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, either by us as an individual or sometimes it could be part of a larger group. Confession usually comes after we've said or done something that we're sorry for or something that we're ashamed of. And usually to the extent that we often try to keep it hidden from others, including God. And that hiding can go on for weeks, months, and some of us know things that we've kept hidden for years. When we look at wrongdoing, we need to consider what sin is. It's not something we like to talk about or think about very often because if we don't know what sin is and we don't want to acknowledge it, we will never see that there's any need for confession. In the New Testament, the Greek word hamartia is often used to describe sin. It's derived from an archery term which literally means to miss the mark. But what is it, the mark, that we are missing? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. 
we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all miss the mark. Not just some of us, all of us. Sin can refer to doing something against God or against a person. In Exodus 10, Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go, but he was very quick to ask Moses and Aaron for forgiveness when a plague of locusts swarmed across the land and destroyed their crops. He said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Sin can mean doing the opposite of what is right. In Galatians 5, Paul talks of the challenge we face when our human nature wants to do the opposite of what the Spirit desires. I know this is something I've felt frustrated with over the years. It's like, why do I do the things I really don't want to do? And yet the things I really should do and want to do, I can't seem to get myself to do them. And this is exactly what Paul talks about in Galatians 5. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sin can be doing something that will have negative results. There are many examples throughout the Bible of people who sinned with terrible consequences for themselves and sometimes for whole nations. The people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin and disobedience. People like David in the Old Testament and Saul, who later became Paul in the New Testament, committed very serious offences like adultery and murder. They suffered consequences for their behaviour and yet God forgave them and used them mightily. So just because we sin, just because there's wrongdoing in our life doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and can't use us. Sin can even be the failure to do something you know is right. In a letter to Jewish believers in the first century church, James challenges their attitudes and behaviours when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There are times when we know we should do something, but attitudes like selfishness, pride or laziness can get in the way and stop us from doing what we know is right. Sin separates us from God. Sometimes we want to believe that because God is love and because He loves us, He will overlook sin. However, God is holy and holiness can have nothing to do with sin. We need to understand that it's because God loves us, because He is love, that He cannot let us get away with sin. Our sin separates us from him. He is a God of both love and justice, not one or the other. If we look at what was happening in Genesis when God decided to flood the earth, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. This passage doesn't paint God as a cold, indifferent, heavenly judge. Rather, it says that God was sorry. He regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and that it broke his heart. His heart was deeply troubled. Like a painter whose precious work of art has been defaced, the Lord 
cleans away the stain of human sins through a flood that covered the whole earth. And he restores his creation to its original beauty, starting with Noah and his family, who were righteous in the eyes of the Lord. So why do we often find it hard to admit our wrongdoing? Why do we find it hard to confess our sin? Is it because we're afraid of being judged by others? Is it because we think we'll lose the respect of people around us? Could it be that we don't want to face the consequences of something we've said or done? As a society, we are big on the word authenticity. You hear it a lot. Being your authentic self, being real and true. And yet, we can work so hard to present an image of being people whose lives are happy and successful, people who have it all together, good moral people, people who have the perfect life. Just take a look at any social media platform. How often are we trying to take the perfect selfie or posting happy life moments, giving the impression that every moment of every day is just full of these wonderful moments. But how real and true are they to our average every day? I don't know about you, but I don't see people walking around with those cute pouty poses on a daily basis. Our houses don't always look as beautiful as what they do on our Instagram and our holidays aren't as wonderful. Uh, we don't have holidays every day of the week and we don't have those gourmet meals um, that we take photos of when we go to the restaurants every day on our tables. None of us use social media to highlight the less desirable parts of our personality or our day. We know within ourselves that there are times when we've covered up mistakes in the hope that no one will notice. We know we're capable of telling white lies and half-truths. We can think of times when we've downplayed the seriousness of a situation or shifted the blame and sometimes we're the only one who knows the bad attitudes we have on the inside while we're smiling politely on the outside. On one hand, we want to believe we're being authentic. But on the other hand, we want to hide those parts of who we are that we might be ashamed of or embarrassed by. As human beings, we often have unspoken measuring stick for sin. Some of us... For some of us, we see our own misdemeanours as just minor offences that don't really count as sins, while others are committing major crimes that deserve punishment. For some of us, we know the seriousness of the things we've done and we feel the weight of our sins, wondering whether we could ever be, could ever be forgiven when we compare ourselves to everyone else who seems to have it all together. But Jesus addresses this in Matthew 5 when he's speaking to the disciples and the crowds. He says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Sin is sin. Our thoughts, our attitudes and our actions. The good news is that Jesus is like that friend you would let walk into your house without prior warning. I don't know if you can think of someone who you're happy to walk into your house without ringing ahead, 
before you get to clean the bathroom, before you put on your nice clothes and do your hair, if you have hair to do, before you declutter the dining table that's been used as a home office and a homework station for the last week, or before you can wash the dirty dishes you left from the night before. Maybe I'm just describing my house. Maybe yours doesn't look like that. But I can think of friends who know the real me and love me anyway. And I hope you have friends that accept your you, warts and all as well. And that's the way God wants our relationship with him to be. No covering up, no pretending. In 1 John 1, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. We can trust God to do this. He will make us clean from all the things we have done. Jesus does want us to be authentic. He does want us to be real and true. He can see past our pretense and he wants us to know that he loves us anyway. He doesn't need us to be perfect before he comes into our lives. He's happy to meet us where we're at and to walk with us on the journey of life. But he does want us to be free of shame. He wants us to be free of guilt and fear. And we can be if we confess our sins and we ask for his forgiveness. In Romans 3, it says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That is for everyone who believes, not just for select people, for anyone who believes. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, it's for everyone. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's no measuring stick with God. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. If sin is part of all of us, then confession must also be a part of us too. It's just like a fractured friendship or a broken relationship with a family member. Maybe you have some of those in your lives or you can think of times in your life where you have had someone that you've had a falling out with. Until we're prepared to talk it through, until we're willing to acknowledge guilt on our part or extend forgiveness to someone else, to forgive and to be forgiven, it's unlikely the relationship will change. So... If we, if we want to be more intentional about making confession a part of our spiritual practices, how should we go about it? In order to live a victorious life and one that is made up of good relationships with God and with others, we need to be honest first and foremost with ourselves, then with God and with one another. Does this mean I'm going to ask each of you to come up one at a time, take this microphone and confess everything that you've done in the past week? I don't think so. Does it mean you need to tell every person you meet what terrible things you've done in your life? There's no need for that either. First, we need to be honest with ourselves. 
Matthew encourages us to focus our attention on what we need to do in our own lives rather than pointing out the faults in others. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. For some of us, that may be harder than others, particularly if your life has been negatively impacted by the actions of someone else. Sometimes we can think, well, I do this because they did this to me or this is the way I am because that person did something in my life that's caused me to say and do the things that I do. But my encouragement is to ask God to help you through the healing process and show you how to move forward with thoughts, attitudes and behaviours that bring you joy and peace in your life. Something I had to learn a long time to go, had to learn a long time ago, early in my marriage, and maybe some of you need to learn this still and some of you maybe still have already learnt it, is that I can't make someone else change. Uh, Unfortunately, my husband still does the same dances he did 27 years ago. Uh, I can't do anything about that no matter how hard I try. But (laughs) I'm only responsible for the change that needs to take place in my own life. There is a saying that has been used by various people in different forms throughout the years and it goes something like this. If you hold on to anger, resentment, or unforgiveness towards another person. It's like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Sometimes we can throw the blame onto other people and yes, there are things that have happened in our lives that can be harmful and hurtful to us, but there comes a point where we get tired of carrying the weight of that. We get tired of the angerness and the bitterness and resentment and that's where we have the opportunity to give that to God and just do the things that we can for ourselves in our lives to move forward with freedom. We can't change the past or another person but we can ask God to heal us and change us so we can walk forward in freedom. The second thing we need to do is confess our sins to God. We can ask Him to show us any areas that are displeasing to Him. We can invite God in to reveal all those little areas that by ourselves we might just gloss over. In Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows the weight of sin. Scientists and researchers have spent years studying the effects of negative emotions like anger, bitterness and unforgiveness on our physical bodies and our minds. It's not just a thought. It's not just a feeling, it impacts our hearts, our blood pressure, our physical bodies in various ways. David pours out his heart to God after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then going on to order the killing of her husband in battle. And he says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden that is too heavy to bear, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. 
When we confess our wrongdoing, God doesn't just want to hear empty words. He actually seeks a repentant heart. We can all tell the difference between someone who just says the word sorry, and I'm sure any of us who have kids or nieces or nephews or anything like that can think of times when our kids have gone, sorry. Maybe I'm sure we've never done it. But there are times when we know that someone is just saying the word sorry, when they're not really at a place of actually being sorry for what they've done. But you can tell when someone is genuinely sorry for something that they've said or done. When we confess our sins and repent, we're saying we are sorry for what we've done and we can ask God to help us change our attitudes and behaviours. This isn't something he expects us to do in our own strength. We can learn from Jesus' example and ask for the Holy Spirit's help in replacing hatred with love. We can ask him to show us how to be patient instead of rushing ahead without care for other people. He shows us how to practice self-control instead of letting frustration and aggravation rule our lives. And he will show us how to forgive rather than holding on to bitterness and resentment. When we confess and repent, we can accept his undeserved grace and know that his forgiveness is given freely. The third step is to talk to someone else. James says in chapter 5, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that they may be, that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If there is someone you need to make amends with, ask God for the right time and the right words to do this. If it's not possible or it's not wise to do this because of the person not being around anymore or it's not safe to be with that person and you are still feeling the pain of past experiences, I encourage you to find a trustworthy friend to talk to or to seek help from a professional counsellor to get the right support and advice for your situation. If you haven't already done the Freedom Course or the Circuit Breaker Course, these are great supportive environments where you can work through the areas of your life that may be holding you back from finding freedom in Christ. If I can ask the worship team to head back up, that would be great. So what can we expect when we confess our sins? We said earlier that God will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness knowing that we are forgiven by another individual or by God can have a tangible positive effect on our mental, physical, emotional and spiritual well-being, even if we know there are natural consequences that we have to endure. Sometimes apologising, sometimes confessing doesn't necessarily mean all the consequences go away. But once we know that God is with us and that we are forgiven, we can walk through those with his strength. One of the central pleas of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 focuses on confession and forgiveness. It says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As our Heavenly Father extends grace and forgiveness to us, so also should we show grace and forgiveness to others. Confession is such a powerful thing. 
whether it's us confessing to someone else or someone else coming to us, it is a powerful thing. If you desire freedom in your relationship with God and with others, listen to the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit that is prompting you to let go, to surrender, to confess and to forgive. In Psalm 139, David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? As believers, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, revealing God's will for our lives and helping us along the way. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but He does desire joy, peace, blessing and freedom for us. And this is found in the practice of confession and the receiving of forgiveness. Mm -hmm.